0: Welcome to the OnFit podcast. Hello and welcome to the OnFit podcast, a weekly discussion on key trends in investment and economic policy from some of the world's leading commentators. I'm Emma McGarthy, head of OnFit Sustainable Policy Institute, and today I'm joined by Dario Liglisi, who is director of the Sustainable Energy Division at the United Nations Economic Commission for Europe to discuss how to drive a sustainable energy transition pathway that can decouple resource use and sustainable development, whilst also driving clean energy infrastructure and capital allocation. So welcome, Dario, and thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you here.
1: Thank you. And thank you. And uh, hello, everybody. And thank you for inviting me.
0: Lovely. Thank you so much. So I'll I'll dive into my, uh, my first question. So, um, Obviously, we're looking at kind of how to drive uh, energy efficiency and security whilst scaling clean energy production um, and also increasing decarbonisation. And this has been high on policymakers' agendas. So uh, a bit of a broad one, but what is your outlook for renewable energy production um, and what role is the UN currently playing uh, with this?
1: Right. Thanks. Uh, thank you for the question. Uh, we just recently uh, finished the review of the SDG 7, the Sustainable Development Goal number seven, which is clean energy for all. And uh, as you know, this is part of the Agenda 2030 objectives. And uh, every three years, we do the review of where we are in terms of progressing towards uh, the achievement of that goal. And uh, in particular, for our region, it, it has been. There has been some progress since last time, and there has been some progress since uh, when we started measuring, actually, this, uh, uh, this objective. But the pace of, of achievement of that project, is, is of that objective, is nowhere near enough where we should be. Uh, and particularly one of the metrics that go under the SDG 7, which the uptake of renewable energy, the deployment of renewable energy across the region, is actually has shown, as I said, some progress. I mean, out of the 56 uh, member states around our region, 44 have actually shown an improvement versus last year. So the share of renewable energy in the energy mix has increased. But that share in percentage remains well below where it should be if we were to achieve by 2030 the objectives of uh, of the agenda. Uh, And therefore, what does it mean? It means that uh, uh, we need clearly to increase um, much, much faster the uptake of that renewable energy if we are to decarbonize uh, the energy system. And so what we're doing, what the UN is doing to do that, besides measuring the achievement of what are the commitments made by the member states? Well we are we're doing a number of things. The first one is obviously we're supporting the, the, the establishment of adequate regulatory frameworks especially in the least you know developed markets in the emerging markets around the world. that's, that's certainly a, a very important role because that facilitates as well the investment uh, uh, in the energy in the energy space. We are looking as well as as to facilitate that if those investment flows. I mean, it's a uh, it's not really to the UN to do the actual investment. There are plenty of organizations out there, including the private sector, who are actually keen investing in in renewable energy. Uh, but we are facilitating by matching. Uh, project sponsors and and sources of financing, for example, or providing or helping uh, projects to to become bankable and be structured in a way so as to be bankable. Uh, Finally, another area that uh, is often overlooked uh, is not really the direct flow or the direct investment or the uh, regulatory uh, aspects around the renewable energy technologies as such, But it's ancillary issues like, for example, the availability of of the grid and the state of the art of of the electricity grid, because as you know, renewable energies and intermittent technologies and they have a very different impact on the grid and the availability of security and security of energy that you mentioned before. When it comes to looking at bringing that electricity from the production side to actually the demand side. And so one of the aspects that, that, that we have been uh, focusing on is the state of the electricity grid, whether it needs investments and they are needed, massive investments in upgrading that electricity grid. Digitalization means to bring the grid to a modern, uh, a modern technologies, but as well regulatory aspects around uh, exchanging energy, exchanging electricity between countries, for example, to improve the resilience of the of those energy systems.
0: Brilliant, thank you. I think there's a lot that we can uh, we can come back to there. Um, I'm especially interested in in hearing a bit more about how you're kind of matching the project sponsors um, with how you know, supporting projects become bankable. But uh, I think my 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 follow-up question from all of this. Obviously, you touched upon how the UN is is supporting uh, with regulatory and, and policy frameworks. Obviously. When you're looking at energy, it's very complex. There are going to be different needs, expectations. Um, how are you converging regulatory and policy frameworks to support sustainable energy, energy growth and also factoring in, um, you know, innovation and the, and the kind of different requirements of all of these different countries and, and what they, what they need.
1: Sure. So what, what we do in, in particular with a focus on renewable energy uptake, we have been doing for a few years now, what we call the hard talks. Which is a, 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 a which means bringing uh, around the table all the different stakeholders in a country that have a role in supporting the deployment of renewable energy. So it's not only the government, but as well the local administrations, is as well local utilities, is as well project provider project sponsors, providers of equipment, financiers, everybody who has a role in supporting that. And we call them hard talks because. We put everything on the table. I mean, what are the challenges? What are the problems? What are the issues? And we, uh, by having everybody around the table and, uh, and identifying what those challenges are, we're able to bring then, you know, the support that it's needed to overcome those challenges, whether it is, you know, the creation, for example, of market structure or the creation of options, for example, or, uh, you know, the, the facilitation of permitting, for example. So some of those issues are at, at the root of the lack of deployment of renewable energies and, you know, other issues like competing uses of land, competing uses of, of water, for example, as well. When it comes with you, if you're thinking about hydropower, for example, those issues, we bring together all the people that have a stake in that and try to find a way to, to, to go forward, uh, uh, with those investments and, and overcoming these challenges, as I said. On the other and another aspect that we're doing, for example, as on the energy efficiency. It's not about renewable energy, but you know, the second metric around SDG seven is the energy efficiency, right? So it's the is the output of GDP per uh, per unit of energy in, used, and, and here as well, there has been some progress, as I said, but still, the region, especially many countries within our region, still are too energy intensive, and they need to implement. Um, energy efficiency measures, whether it's in industrial processes or whether it's in the built environment. So another thing that we do here, for example, is in, to support that, is the deployment of the high-performance buildings uh, recommendations, guidelines that we have issued, so as to not only facilitate the, in, the new construction of buildings, for example, adoption of latest technologies and, and latest methodologies to increase the efficiency of those buildings and actually transform those buildings maybe to producers of electricity, but as well in the retrofit of buildings. And here again, what we do by doing that is we work with all the stakeholders. We bring the construction companies, the architects, we bring the local administration, we bring the producers of equipment or HVAC equipment or other equipment, for example, around the table, and we try to help them and, and, and you know, and put on the table again all the issues that are are, are necessary by doing that through the local stakeholders and, and create a momentum to increase that energy efficiency in the buildings, for example. Uh, so that's certainly that's 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 the way we are. We, we do through our convening power, we try to put together all the stakeholders, see what the challenges are, find a collective response to those challenges, act on those challenges with whatever necessary is the support that uh, that is needed for that, and then bring forward the the agenda 2030.
0: Yeah, no, fantastic. Um, and again, maybe we can go to some of the technologies that are being developed um, a little bit later. But, sure. um, yeah, my, my next question, and um, perhaps still kind of leaning towards uh, the frameworks um and regulation, et cetera, that you're that you're helping to implement. Yeah. What, what tools and classifications um have you developed, uh, which, you know, different countries can follow to kind of help decarbonisation and, and kind of the transition towards kind of cleaner energy uh, and, and better efficient uh, energy as well?
1: Sure. Uh, so what we, we have done, uh, we have elaborated a number of, of tools, let's say, to support decision making. This is mostly about policy making and, and decision making processes. So we have developed, for example, the carbon neutrality toolkit, which is a, it's a, it's a very complex, a fairly complex uh, uh, support tool that starting with the endowments of the, of the country and, you know, the policies and, and the ambitions of the country, and on the path of the decarbonization, in, in taking a, a technology agnostic approach, it, it supports policy, the decision makers in, in the country um, in designing a path towards that carbon neutrality by, for, for example, you know, proposing which, we, which mix of technologies is the best uh, and, and how to deploy that the mix of technologies. Uh, for energy production, for example, over over a long period of time, what would be then what would entail that technology means? What are the investments needed to deploy those technologies? How the, those technologies should be deployed, for example, in supporting them? And, and as I said, the, the the really interesting part about this is the is that it's a technologically agnostic tool. I mean, it takes into consideration all the different technologies because we believe there is no one size fits all. And then every country has a path, a unique path towards decarbonization, which depends on, as I said before, on many, on many details, on many specificities uh, uh, around the country. Uh, that's one tool, for example, and we've been deploying it through, we recently published uh, uh, um, the application, the implementation of that carbon neutrality toolkit for the reconstruction of the energy sector in Ukraine. You know, we are we are working already in a post-war situation. Uh, hopefully, very soon, uh, that when Ukraine will take the decision, the decisions to reconstruct its energy system to do it on a decarbonized uh, way, and and what is needed, what are the uh, uh, the advantages, of what are the you know the, the 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 endowments that Ukraine has, and how with the existing technologies they can exploit those endowments and, and create an energy system which is decarbonized. Another tool that we have elaborated, for example, we were talking about before about energy efficiency, right, in industrial processes. Well, one of the issues, um, you know, large companies are, are, you know, have people and and technologies and and money dedicated to to these sort of things. Small and medium enterprises instead, many times they don't have. The, the 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 knowledge they don't have dedicated people they don't have the time to think about how to implement energy efficiency measures and therefore we have elaborated a toolkit a fairly simple toolkit this time that helps ranking uh, ranking in uh, the order of priority what are some of the energy measures energy efficiency measures that they could take in order to decrease their, their energy consumption. It starts, you know, from obviously, um, you know, substituting partly the uh, electricity consumption with gener- solar generation, for example, solar power generation, but it goes as well into the industrial processes into, and, and this depends, of course, again, there's no one-size-fits-all because it depends on where the SME and what is the industrial process that you're looking at and where the SME is located, but that helps. It's a, it's a tool to help that decision mm-hmm. you mentioned as well you talked about as well about uh, about regulatory and, and classification well a, a large part in, in in the in the in the title of this uh, podcast is about as well decoupling you know energy consumption from from developments and and, and so you raise the point about resource issue resource management and resource utilization and here we have been working for many years Uh, on the United Nations Framework Classification for Resources and the United Nations Resource Management System. The first one is a methodology to classify natural resources, including energy resources, by taking into consideration uh, technical and geological viability uh, considerations, aspects, but as well environmental aspects and social aspects, and therefore provide a, a language, provide a methodology that, 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 uh, that can classify the, the projects aimed at developing those resources in a way that takes a, a holistic approach and takes into consideration the different aspects. Here is not only about looking at what is more economically uh, feasible or what is, what is more economically advantageous here is as well as looking what is, what you can do from an environmental perspective, what is socially acceptable as well as a project to be, uh, to be done and classify those projects according to this, uh, to this methodology. And so directing uh, investment flows where there have, you have, you know, projects which are ready to be invested as opposed to being blocked in projects which are not Acceptable from any of those considerations. The United Nations Resource Management System, UNRMS, is instead is once you have taken the decision to invest, is what are the principles that should be guiding your investment and be taking into consideration all the, all the different aspects. And this is really, this thought this behind this is really, is uh is to support the energy transition through the issue, of course, of, of, you know, mining and, uh, and exploiting critical raw materials in a sustainable fashion, not to do the same errors that we did, uh, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, when we started, you know, exploiting coal and then oil and then all the fossil fuels that with the issues that we face today because of what happened in the
0: past. I guess the complications with that though is that resource extraction has then Created growth, right? And, and wealth. And we've, we've seen that in, in emerged countries, but a big argument that emerging, uh, countries are going to be making and do make is that, well, you've been able to grow and develop through your resource extraction. Now is our time. How can we and how are, is the UN working to decouple not just kind of this resource, uh, extraction, but actually the kind of actually by extracting resources, you do then get growth and you do get development. How are we looking to then Get that development in a, in a different way and to, yeah, to kind of move, move the conversation on from this.
1: You're, you're absolutely right. Listen, you, this uh, the, the, the energy transition that we are, we are going through necessitates a massive quantity of minerals. And these are minerals, which is a very different from the last energy transition. The last energy transition is we use minerals, if you will, but oil and gas and coal. Uh, And then in a linear mode, in the sense that they were the feedstock to produce energy or or electricity. And, you know, and today we're suffering the consequences of that. The next energy transition instead, the minerals, which are critical to that energy transition, which is cobalt, lithium, manganese, copper, etc., Ah, play a very different role. I mean, they play a different role in the sense that uh, they know uh, they are not destroyed during the utilization, but actually they can be reused and recycled, and we get to in a minute to that. But you're absolutely right. I mean, this transition it provides a window of maybe 20, 25, 30 years for those countries which are rich in these minerals. To exploit those minerals in, a, in, a, in order to support their, their development, and many of those minerals are actually in emerging countries, in country in developing countries, in countries where there is a relatively. Uh, weak governance when it comes to, to, to this sort of to this sort of things. And what certainly we want to avoid is that what happened in the past with the exploitation of oil and coal and, uh, and all the fossil fuels, that will repeat the same thing now that we are embarking on this new energy transition. And therefore we are looking at supporting those countries in a, to um, use their, their richness, their wealth in terms of mineral resources in a sustainable way. So create good sustainable development for their populations for their economies not good not uh, fall into you know into the uh, into resource the, the disease occurs that uh, that happens or uh, uh, so often, so leave a part of the value added in the chain in those countries, create development opportunities, added value industries there, and contribute to a sustainable development of those mineral resources. And that is here. I think this is where we, with the UNFC and UNRMS are trying as well to support that uh, that, uh, that, that 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 dynamic and going uh, and going forward. Coming back to, to the point about decoupling, I mean, here, the, 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 where we are working instead, mining, obviously, the production of, this, of these mineral resources is critical and will be necessary simply because of the amount Of minerals that are are, are necessary with the current technologies, for example, an EV, an electrical vehicle contains six times more than a conventional combustion engine car, metals and, and, and critical raw materials. A wind farm, a wind, a wind, a wind farm, for example, more than 15 times. So we're talking about huge amount of, uh, of, uh, of minerals necessary, but. Besides the mining and the production, the the primary production of those minerals, there is a lot that has to be done. The systems need to be put in place for those minerals to be reused, to be recycled, for those industrial processes to be more efficient in terms of minerals, use less minerals, less energy for the same production of GDP. And, then, and and so we said reuse, recycle, creation of re- or closed loops, for example. But we can talk about that a, a bit later, more into detail. And we are the forefront of of developing those sort of systems in a way that uh, that we try to avoid, uh, you know, waste. Uh, and try to avoid to as much as possible as well primary mining because it's very impactful of course you know mining operations are very impactful whether you do it in a sustainable way or not they remain however uh, impactful on the environment and the, and the social issues as well
0: yeah yeah i mean i guess a big part of this also is is how we can drive capital and investment into this infrastructure and, and cleaner energy products and, and cleaner resource extraction products so i guess that goes back onto the point that you made earlier, which is how you're supporting uh, projects to become bankable. Um, could, could you talk me through how you're doing that and what that looks like? Whether you have a use case, maybe an example to show where that's worked and kind of what went into helping those projects and, and helping investors get to those projects. So I think that's, that's also a big question, especially in emerging markets, is, you know, how do we actually find the projects and get that capital, get that investment over there from
1: Sure. Last, last year we did that, uh, we, we did here in Geneva, we had a, a regional forum about, about matching, you know, uh, bringing forward a number of projects, including projects in the, in the, in the critical raw material, uh, space, uh, in Central Asia, in Caucasus, for example, in Southeastern Europe, et cetera. Uh, and then by showcasing them to, 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 to a number of investors this year in, in Frankfurt on the 4th of July, we are uh, we will be having the second we are having the second the uh, um, second uh, uh forum following that where we bringing sponsors project sponsors and we bringing as well the financial community investors and banks and uh, and uh, and as well you know mdbs and multidela- uh, multilateral development banks to put them together and I jointly identify what are the challenges for that For those that matching to happen, and uh, by putting them together and discussing these projects and highlighting what are the challenges, we can then highlight as well what would be the potential the potential solutions. We're not, uh, you know, the UN is not in the business of doing the investment or or providing technical assistance for those investments to happen, but we are there to support the the meeting of those uh, of the different stakeholders and the identification of what the of what the challenges are and then if can, you know, put together, you know, either technical assistance or support or connect with the, with the right institutions or whatever, whatever is necessary to make sure that happens. And here I think if I can. Just make a a, a brief note here, for example, the adoption of UNFC and UNRMS that I discussed about that before at global level by all the stakeholders, including it. So we're working as well with private companies. UNFC and UNRMS are not only for governments, it's a global language. And so we are working as well with the private sector, with private sector companies, with the financial community, with project sponsors so that they can adopt this common language. Why? Because one of the main issues is about that data and data accuracy. And so if you, as an investor, know that this data has been produced and is accurate and has been produced through a methodology that you're comfortable with, it facilitates the investment. Many times the issue around the non-bankability of projects is because you don't know how that data has been produced, which methodology has been used. Is it is it trustworthy? Is it accurate? Can I believe it or that can I cannot believe it? And so that's that's the reason why I think that it, it supports you know the adoption of UNSC UNRMS by all the stakeholders will facilitate that dialogue because it builds trust be- between different stakeholders.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. Very. Very good. Um- you talked a lot about the uh, technology, technological advances, um, and I, I think we kind of touched upon some of this already, but it would be great to hear just a little bit more about kind of what technical advances and innovations have been developed uh, to support kind of decarbonisation and clean energy production. Um, how have these been utilised and, yeah, what, what has the impact been so far?
1: Sure. Well, we've what, uh, we've been working a, a, a lot in in uh, you know, for example, on the concept of resources as, as services, which would be uh, so. Today we have a, a, an industrial many times we have an industrial model which is a linear one, you know, right? So you you establish you create the resources, the, the raw materials, let's say, and then you transform them, and then you you create the equipment. Then the equipment has an economic life. And then either is uh, is uh, is abandoned or sometimes is partially recycled or it gets used for some, for something else. But it's a linear model. What we're trying to do here is technologies that actually create a loop, a closed loop. Uh, and so, rather than owning, for example, the resources, you actually having access to the resource for the services that that resource is providing you. Uh, one of the examples, and there are already some examples. Uh, in the in the in that area. For example, with some UK universities we are working on rather than you have uh a material uh constraints constraints into into a bridge for example, and then rather than tearing down the bridge and, and building a new one, how can you repair that that bridge while keeping it in service and extending the life of that bridge in a safe in a safe way. That's an example of, for example, of resource servitization and a closed loop, for example, there you're not rebuilding, so you're not creating waste, you're not creating, you know, uh, that you need to dispose with, and you not need new uh, equipment or new material to produce the bridge. You're actually having the bridge and you go and look at what is uh, what is the issue on the on material strain. So that's a very frontier uh, type of technology that, uh, that people are looking at and, that, uh, and prolonging the life of, uh, of infrastructure by repairing as opposed to, as opposed to changing uh, the infrastructure. Certainly, that's an important technology. We're looking at hydrogen, the role of hydrogen, for example, in the energy transition. Hydrogen can have many multiple roles, but not all of them make sense. Not all of them are economically Feasible, uh, some more than others, and so that's, for example, what how we should be doing, and what should be looking at uh, at the role of hydrogen. Another issue is certainly is around critical raw materials in the energy storage, you know, lithium versus sodium batteries, for example, uh, or other type of technologies. We're looking as well what what could be the, the future uh, technologies for the for energy storage, for example. So some of these are some of the frontier stuff that we are uh getting involved into where we're working with universities or research centers for example and trying to understand and figuring out what would be the future of of, of those technologies.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um and very, very interesting. Um, my final question, I guess, I mean so we've talked uh about kind of how we can scale up capital uh towards renewable energy um, and clean clean energy infrastructure what specifically does the private sector most of our listeners are going to be from the financial sector will be from investors uh, what 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 do they need to do to support this what what needs to come from the private sector to help scale up investment in in renewable energy and, and to drive decarbonization
1: i think you know when the by, by working with the project sponsors and the private sector, we've been trying to find out what, are, what, what is the, the missing link or what, what is necessary to actually scale up massive investment. Because investments in, into the energy transition would be massive. Uh, and, uh, and a lot more is needed than today. It's only the private sector can actually mobilize that sort of trillions of dollars per year necessary for the energy transition. Certainly, you know, multilateral development banks are there to help and to support, and I think they play a very important role in de-risking the, the the some of the assets, some of the investments, for example, uh in taking into consideration political risk or transition risks, for example. So that's certainly an important role for the MDBs, or collaborating alongside private sector in, in your, for example, blended finance, that kind of uh uh, that kind of or or facilitating changing the procurement rules so that actually helps the private sector get involved. One of the stumbling blocks for the private sector, not to working alongside with the, with the multilateral development banks is because they have different procurement rules. Of course, uh, is this is as simple as that? But that's a blocking a blocking issue. So that's that's something that probably needs to be thought about. But I think one of the, if, if ever, and this is a concept that we've been discussing with some of the some of the financial community uh, members, is how about linking financial support to the SDGs, to the Sustainable Development Goals? You know, today you have green finance, right? Which is finance, which uh, it's considered from an ESG perspective to be compliant with whatever is the standard that you set in ESG, whether it's the EU taxonomy, or, or some, some other kind of, and there are many, 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 way too many of these standards, I would say, creating confusion and, and not helping actually financial flows go. But maybe one, one set of, of, of objectives which are globally accepted, uh, measured on a yearly basis, uh, and then very holistic because, you know, they take into consideration all the different aspects around, around development, whether it's human development, economic development, uh, in, in, the protection of the environment and, 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 and anything else are actually the sustainable development goals. And we as, as a collectively, we humanity, we have established ourselves some, some objectives, which is the SDGs. How about finding a way of linking financial flows to the achievement of the SDGs? And then you can measure that every year. And then, and then suddenly you don't have a green finance. You have a transition finance, yeah. you know, finance that supports the transition that helps people move from brown to brownish, let's say, or brownish to greenish and from greenish to green, just to, to use a, a, a media expression, let's say. Uh, that's something that we've been discussing and it's it's i'm not saying it's easy to do but that is something i think that that people in the financial community should be thinking of and maybe creates an opportunity to create a new a new asset class in, in that sense and and, and, and mobilize the, the the massive amount of capital that is necessary for the energy transition
0: yeah no i think it's a it's a really excellent point and i think transition finance is definitely something that is kind of coming more to the forefront and it's being more considered and it does mean as you as you said that it kind of stops brown from being excluded from certain criterias and it does mean that that support can happen and we can start start that move That's right. i completely agree um any any final thoughts that you want our listeners to to take away final things that you uh yeah that you would like to like to say darryl
1: I think, listen, I think we talked about a very, a, a lot of important points, uh, and I think a lot of important points that hopefully will be discussed and will, at the COP28 and, and, and going forward. I think there is a lot of, uh, of, uh, enthusiasm, but as well pressure to move on. I think, uh, and certainly there is something that we should be looking at uh, all collectively. Uh, to, to move on, uh, quicker as, uh, as the objectives, as I said, you know, we're far from the objectives and, uh, this is, as I said, this is a common endeavor and it's, it's all, you know, on top of all of us. And, uh, certainly, you know, you guys play an important role in disseminating this uh, and making people aware, aware of this, uh, of these things
0: and, and, uh, and the necessity to actually step up. Yeah, we, we try, we try. <laughs> And it, look, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today, Dario. Really, really interesting conversation. As you said, I think we, we touched on a lot. Um, and I think each topic is something that we could, uh, we could dive into for about half an hour, but I think it's a, Indeed. it's a good starting point and things that we can bring, uh, bring in into future discussions as well. So thank you so much for joining me today. Um, uh, thank you to our listeners for listening. You can subscribe to this and all other Omphi podcasts on our channel on Spotify and iTunes. Thanks again, Dario.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Emma. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to the Omphif Podcast.